Well, again, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, there's kind of a lot of you here this morning. So here, here's what I'm guessing happened. Uh, top of the eighth, you're like, God, I'll go to church tomorrow. Uh, just, <laughs> I'll do anything. I'll even go. To, so thank you for being here. Uh, whatever happened, well, I guess it works. So uh, glad you're here. Um, I think maybe uh, thankful for that extra hour of sleep. But if, if you were like me, you had so much adrenaline as you crawled into bed last night, it was kind of hard to... Hard to settle down, wasn't it? Um, so we're going to just race through everything this morning because I'm still amped up on a little adrenaline and coffee. So uh, well, let's, let's pray and ask, ask for God's help, and we'll, we'll dive into his word. God, we are so grateful that you have called us to this place and to yourself. God, we, uh, we're grateful for our city um, and what's happening in our city. And God, we, we love, I love Kansas City. It's great to be here and to be a part of all this. Uh, and God, I, I am thankful that you have spoken to us through your word and that we are gathered here this morning to hear from you. And I pray that uh, if I say anything that is unhelpful or distracting or simply untrue, God, I pray that those words would be quickly forgotten uh, and that we would grab on to the words that come from you, uh, Lord Jesus, from your word, that you would change us, help us to be the people uh, that you have called and created us to be. And so we depend on you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what if, what if God was your boss? I know, it's kind of a cheesy question, like it belongs on a, on a bumper sticker or something. Uh, forgive me, but, but bear with me for a second. What if God was your actual, literal boss at work, at school, at home, and, and everything that, that you do? Because uh, let's be honest, right? Your boss makes or breaks your work environment, doesn't it? I mean, here's the prime example, right? Easy one to think of. I mean, I mean that's, yeah, of course, right? The guy who once said, would I rather be feared or loved? Both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me, right? I mean, that's, that's Michael Scott. And, and we, you've had both, haven't you? I mean, I've, I've worked uh, for good people and I've worked for terrible people. I can remember a boss that I had uh, back in college at one of the banks I worked at. And she hated me and I hated her and I hated work. And everything was different as, as a result of that, right? Uh, whereas on the other side, a, a good boss can bring out the very best in you. Uh, make it as, as rewarding as possible. Make work feel a little bit less like, like work. And at the risk of sounding cheesy, and I mean, I'm just going to own it, right? Um, what, if, what if Jesus was your boss? What if he was your teacher at school? Uh, the one overseeing your retirement or your parenting? Uh, the ultimate shareholder or foreman or CEO? The one who passed out the grades and did the performance reviews? What would, what would be different? Now, we've been in the midst of this kind of unusual sermon series together these past uh, few weeks. It's six weeks all to, together here. Uh, we've called it Neighborly Love and, and really ch- trying to look at how we, we love our neighbors in, in a much bigger perspective than we often sort of center in on uh, and really saying that one of the primary ways that you and I love our neighbors, both our proximate neighbors as well as our global neighbors, is through the work that we do um, and the economic flourishing that, that we produce. That your work, whether you get paid for it or not, matters deeply to God and to your neighbor, right? That, that there's something significant about it. And so the first week we said uh, that if you, if you want to be a person of compassion, you also have to have the capacity to actually help, right? You cannot just simply say, I love you. You've got to have the capacity to help the people that you say you love. Uh, and the week after that, we were in Genesis, and we talked about how uh, if you want to be faithful, you've got to be fruitful, that we've been created to be uh, creative, productive, redemptive in, in everything, everything that we do. 
And then last week, we took another kind of step backwards to, to look at the big picture and said, if you want to love your, your neighbor, you also have to love your neighborhood, uh, that we're called together as a people collectively with, with one another, that we work together and, and the way economics in, uh, impacts each other. And it's all sort of mingled uh, together that we work for and with the people around us. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian or, or maybe you're just sort of newer to faith, uh, we're really glad that you're here. We want to be a place where you can come and, and, and find out a little bit more of who Jesus is. But maybe you've been kind of thinking like, why does this church care about this stuff, right? Uh, you know, about work and economics and, I mean, what? just stick to theology already, right? Uh, and, I, and I get that, uh, except that fundamental to our theological beliefs is that Jesus, the good news of what he has done, changes everything. That there's nothing untouched by, by what he's accomplished and what he's done for us even when it comes to, to work and to economics. That our Sunday experience, our Sunday beliefs, our Sunday practices ought to connect deeply with Monday and every other day of the week. So this morning, we want to take another step in here and wrestle with that question, what if God was your boss? And, and we want to center our conversation around these words in Colossians chapter 3. We just heard them read a second ago. Uh, as well as the, the wisdom of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. We're going to kind of look at, at both those uh, together here this morning. And we're going to see three things. Uh, that If God is our boss, first, he redefines the status quo. Uh, second, he, he redefines our understanding of satisfaction. Uh, and third, he, he redefines our view and definitions for, for success. Frankly, he just kind of turns everything on its head for us. So, so let's look again at Colossians chapter 3. Let me read these words for us as well as a little bit of the context here. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, Paul is writing to this church in Colossae. He says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, a couple things to note here. I mean, first, Paul is, is directly addressing a, a type of, of slave in that, in that culture, that, in that environment, which means, which means for us, right, you might hate your job, you might feel trapped in your job, you might feel like you're at the very bottom of the ladder in your job, and yet if Paul can say those things to a bondservant, he can, he can say them to us. No, no matter what we do, no matter whether you think your job is important or insignificant. Don't do it for human bosses, he says. But rather do it for the Lord, the Lord Christ, as if he is your boss. But what does that mean? I mean, what, what would it actually look like for us to do our normal, everyday work, the stuff that we do day in and day out, but to do it for a different master, one that we, that we can't see, we don't get immediate feedback from? What does that, what does that look like? Well, I, I'm convinced that if we were to ask the Apostle Paul that question, one of the first places he would take us is to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Because there are few places in Scripture that talk more frankly and more practically about work and money and economics and relationships and how they're all intertwined than this ancient, ancient book of Proverbs. So if you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. We're going to go back to Colossians in a bit, but we're going to spend a good section of our time this morning in the book of Proverbs. And it's important to keep in mind as we, as we do so uh, that Proverbs are not promises. 
Okay, that, that's, not, that's not how they're designed to be. And yet Proverbs, kind of the, the genre of that, that, that kind of writing is sort of just to describe how life works best. It's kind of like a rule of thumb. When you read Proverbs, that's how you got to understand it. That generally speaking, this is how life works out when these things are fulfilled, when we live in such a way. Does that make sense as different than promises? Uh, And so, for example, uh, my mom is the oldest of nine kids. uh, And they grew up in Chicago, just outside of Chicago, uh, very, very poor. um, Deep economic challenges with with nine nine children. And one one of my uncles, her brother is Uncle Dan. Uh, and one of my, you know, earliest memories of, of Uncle Dan was uh, as a dairy farmer. But he's done just about every hard job imaginable, uh, starting at the bottom of, of every totem pole. Uh, never graduated from college. He served uh, from military, carpentry, mining, uh, farming. I mean, you name it, he's done a lot of those really challenging things. But today, you know, he's mid-60s or so. He is a self-made multimillionaire. Um, it's kind of kind of interesting. And, and so... Uh, my, my mom and he were together uh, a couple months ago, and they were just sort of marveling at God's blessing in his life. Because it's, I mean, it's just truly overwhelming what, what has happened in, in, in his life. And as they're doing this, he stopped and he, he said to her, do you want to know how I did it? Well, yeah, right? Of course. I mean, tell, tell us your secret, right? We want to know. Uh, tell us. And, and, and I hesitate to tell you what he said, Okay. Uh, because the last thing I want is for any of us to walk away and say, well, if we obey Jesus, then we're going to be rich. Woo-hoo! You know, I mean, that, that's, that's ridiculous. That's bad theology. There, there are those who would say that, but that is not the story we hear in here. Our ultimate goal is not financial riches, nor are they ever promised to us. Okay? <laughs> but I've got to tell you what he said, because it just, I mean, it just knocked me off my, off my seat. My mom retold this to me. She said, how, you want to know how I did it? He got up, left the room. Came back, brought his Bible, set it on the coffee table. And he, he began to tell this story. He said, 35 years ago, give or take, he said, we started attending a church, and the pastor was really boring. <laughs> and uh, none of you would know anything about that. Um, <laughs> but it does happen in places where people actually get bored when people like me are talking. Um, and and that, was, that was what was happening in this situation. He was ridiculously bored. And he just started reading the Proverbs, book of Proverbs, right in the middle of the, of the Bible. And he said, since that, that time, that first Sunday there, I have read the entire book of Proverbs every week for the last 35 years. And I've just tried to do what it says. Anything it says about money, that's how I want to handle money. Anything it says about dealing with people and interacting with them, that's, that's how I want to interact with, with, with people. I, basically, he's saying, I've, I've, just, I've built my life on the principles found here in this, in this place. Not because we're promised wealth in here, but simply because there's just so much wisdom to be found, so much about hard work and, and diligence and integrity and justice and wise financial stewardship and relationships and, and all of this. No guarantees, but a whole lot of wisdom. So let's, let's take a look in the Proverbs here, because if, if God is your boss, this, this is your employee handbook. And, and the first thing we see is that he redefines our status quo. He, he redefines our understanding of what's, of what's normal, of what's okay, right? of what's right and, and what's wrong. Because we all know, right, that, that what's normal in our culture as a parent isn't necessarily what's right, right? Uh, the status quo in business or at school uh, isn't always the best, the best thing. It's not always the right thing, even if it is normal. Because more and more in our culture, the primary ethic is win at any cost, right? 
Whatever it takes to achieve, do that. Go out and, and grab it. And so, like, you know, if the, the New England Patriots let a little air out of a few balls, like, anybody's surprised, right? That's, that's the values that we have. Or, or if a few, you know, baseball players want to juice up so they can hit, hit a few more home runs or pitch a little bit harder. I mean, is anybody surprised when you hear those stories anymore, right? Of course not. Because that's, that is our, that's who we are anymore. It's win at any cost. And if you build an economic system on this ethic, well, you can, you can see the disaster, right? I mean, well, of course the 2008 housing crash is going to happen because it's all about, it was all about short-term wins. And yes, with this, with this, this ethic, businesses will take advantage of, of consumers and employees, and, and consumers will consume too much of the wrong things, right, and be uninformed. Stuff like, like payday lending, which specializes in exploitation of the poor, taking billions of dollars out of their hands. Or, or for many of us, right, it's just simply like just cutting corners to get ahead. Little, little tiny corners. Or to very gently, subtly, you know, passively stab your, your coworkers or, or your competitors in the back. To only tell half-truths to your customers or to your clients. I mean, it's true, but it's not all the truth. Or to cheat on that test at school. Or to act that way on the soccer field. It's all normal. But it's not necessarily right. And so Proverbs, Proverbs 11, for example. I mean, we could look at all over the place in the Proverbs for this. But chapter 11 is such a great example of this. And we'll jump around a little bit here, but Proverbs 11, beginning of verse 1, let me read what it says. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not proffer in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Okay, so to understand the context here of what's happening, I mean, a tool like this would have been necessary in their economy, right? I mean, with, with trading, selling, that, it, was, it was a necessary thing. And so you'd weigh out for every transaction what you were giving and you'd be paid uh, accordingly. And it obviously, right, it wouldn't be that hard to have a weight that says 10 pounds that's only nine and a half pounds, right? Brilliant, right? You save a half pound on every transaction. Seems to make pretty good sense. Nobody's going to be any wiser. Not with that little bit of skimping. But this boss says that's an abomination. Um, which isn't a word we use very often, right? But if you're wondering, it means he, God doesn't like it, right? An abomination, it's a bad thing. And he, he uses words, right, like pride and disgrace, crookedness, treacherous, destroys, wrath, death, right? These are not, these are not, these are not good images, right? But that, that's what he says it's, it's like when we do that. It will not save you. And if our status quo is about us, win at any cost, ultimately you lose. And all over the Proverbs are warnings against greed and oppression, taking advantage of others for, for personal benefit. And it's normal, all over, right? It's, it's just normal. But it's not right. And if you think about it, this is absolutely essential as you think about life in a free market economy. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of said basically free market, I mean, it's the best broken system we have, right? It's far from perfect, but it's sort of the best we've got at this point. Uh, and, and so we live within this. But a free market economy, I mean, only works best with, with virtuous people. It rises and falls on the integrity of those within that system, which ought to scare us, right? Quite a bit. 
Look again at the text. I mean, words like humility, integrity, righteousness, these, these are the highest values. More than rich, more than riches, more than status, more than accomplishment. Rather, it's being the kind of person to whom God can say, well done. So before we move on, I mean, I've, I've got to ask myself, I've been wrestling with this, we've got to ask ourselves together, is there anything you won't do to achieve your goal? Whatever, whatever that goal is, to win at any cost, to get the best grades in school, to be the best on the basketball court, to, to raise the perfect kids, even, to increase profits or get the next promotion. In what ways do you tip the scales in your favor? What lines am I willing to cross? And if there are any, who are you really working for? Friends, we let, we let him redefine the status quo. And I, and I love this about this proverb, because when we do, right, good, honest work, the proverb says, is God's delight. I mean, don't, don't miss that, right? That, I hope that invigorates you as you think about your work. It doesn't, what, what, you know, if you do your work with integrity, right, serving those, those around you, when you do it well, whether you think it's mundane or valuable or not, right, the God of the universe smiles. I mean, think about that the next time you change a diaper, right, or, or, or serve a customer, right, or study for a test, the God of the universe smiles at that, takes delight in that. Well, second here, if he's the boss, he also redefines our understanding of satisfaction. And this is a hard one for me, right? Because my definition of satisfaction is like now, right? It's, it's immediate, it's, it's pleasure, it's ease, it's, it's comfort, right? It's, it's all of those things. I mean, I want what I want now, or I don't, I, just, I don't want it at all, right? If I have to wait for something, you can just forget about it, right? I, I showed this uh, clip a while back, um, but it sums it up so well. So I'm going to just, a little rerun here. So. Everything is amazing right now, and nobody's happy. Because this is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh, it won't... Give it a second. Give it, it's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light too slow? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a, I was on an airplane and there was internet, high speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet and it's fast. And I'm watching YouTube clips. It's I'm in an airplane, and then it breaks down. And they apologize, the internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, <laughs> Like, how quickly the world owes him something yes. he knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right, right. Oh, I hate that clip, right? Because it just, it makes me hate myself a little bit more. Because I, I mean, that's... That sums it up, right? Everything is in a hurry. Everything is about now. I mean, he goes on, he talks about how, you know, I complain, we complain, the flight's like 20 minutes late, right? Rather than thinking about the fact that we were like sitting in the air, traveling 500 miles per hour on a journey that used to take years on which people would die, right? 20 minutes late, oh. I mean, it's ridiculous, but this is, this is who we are, isn't it? Our highest values are ease, instant, pleasure, comfort, any of that. And if and if we enter work with that mindset, that's just a paycheck. It's just enough to get through to the weekend or the next vacation or, 
or to retirement if you have a long enough view for that, right? Just to, to bide your time until you get to something better. Or, or maybe, maybe not even necessarily about money, but we make it all about personal achievement. But what I, what I feel as a result, what I get rather than what we give. And if we build an economy on immediate gratification, we've seen the shortcomings, haven't we? But God, God defines satisfaction a bit different than we do. Again, we're going to jump around, but Proverbs 21.5, for example, uh, God defines it as, as diligence and hard work. And so there it says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I really don't like that. Because I'm always in a hurry. I mean, that's like, I have one speed in my life, and it's, it's fast. It's rushed. It's, it's now. It's, it's, I mean, I'm always moving fast. And we know, we know better than that, don't we? I mean, you don't, you don't have to be a Christian. We, we realize, we know that the best things in life often take years, decades even, that, that the best gains, the best investments, the best life, all of it looks long-term, not short-term, and yet we're trapped in these, these loops, aren't we? I mean, honestly, maybe this is ridiculous to you, but I'm convinced it's one of the reasons the, the royals are just so fun to watch, right? It's because there, there's not like this hotshot, attention-grabbing superstar, right? Uh, it's just a bunch of really decent players who are good at what they do, right? Um, I mean, it's a difference. Like, you know, sh- short-term gain is, is hitting the occasional home run. Long-term is just getting on base over and over again. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, God loves the Royals more than the Mets. Um, <laughs> mostly because I don't have to say it. We know that's true, right? I mean, it's self-evident. Give me a break. But God's definition of satisfaction is diligence over the long haul. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I mean, this, this is why there are so many Proverbs that warn us against laziness. If you've read through them, you, you notice that, right? Lots of places. For, for example, one of them says, the soul of the sluggard, which I love that word, right? It just sounds lazy, doesn't it? The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Not necessarily his bank account, his soul. Or another one says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but, but this is the alternative, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The lazy wants, the righteous gives. And, and I realize for most of us sitting here, you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not lazy, right? Because we don't feel lazy. Every, we're, we're like ridiculously busy. We're consumed with, with a, you know, constant activity. I, know, I mean, that's, that's me. And yet I, I am more and more convinced that I, I simply hide my laziness behind a whole bunch of overwork. Which I know, it sounds like a contradiction, right? But laziness isn't just doing nothing. Laziness can also be a life spent doing the wrong things. I mean, I've, heard, I've heard laziness recently defined as, as failing to do what love demands. Failing to do what love demands, Ugh, hurts, doesn't it? I mean, that, that, that gets me. And I, I, I've never considered myself a lazy person, but I'm, I'm convinced I fall short there as well. And so the question that I, I've been, been wrestling with, you know, trying to figure out, as I'm trying to figure out who it is I'm really working for, is am I striving for short-term or long-term satisfaction? Am I taking the long view? 
As I look at my life and my desires and, and what I'm aiming for, do I say no to immedia- immediacy for the sake of, of something better? I mean, really, is there, is there anything that I deny myself? I mean, when, when's the last time you said no to something? And am I, am I helping my kids with that? All right, what does it look like to teach them patience and diligence and, and hard work? Or just, do I just rescue them, right? Or give them whatever it is they happen to want in the moment because it's easier. And do they see who it is I'm working for? And do I even have the right master? Oh, but come on, Nathan, you're a pastor. How hard can it be to lose track of the sight that your boss is God, right? Well, you'd think that. Let me tell you, I mean, it gets, it's so easy to get caught up in the short term, to find value in how many people happen to show up on Sunday rather than the, the slow intangibles of actual life change in people's hearts. We crave the immediate, but only the diligent are satisfied. Now, let me, let me pause here for a minute, because throughout this series, we're trying to tell a handful of stories of just ordinary people who are, are trying to live, live this out. Um, and here, here's a beautiful story of faithful diligence from someone uh, here at the Olathe campus. Let's, let's watch it. Most of the day, um, I work around plants and trees. I work at a wholesale nursery um, out west of Olathe, and so I'm in charge of keeping track of all the health of the plants and make sure that they're sellable and uh, working day out outside, and, and it's just a great time to um, be out in God's creation. My name is Emily Frazier, and I've been going to Christ Community for three years. Even though sometimes we don't acknowledge that we work hard, we are a family. I work with some folks from Central America, so they're teaching me Spanish while I'm out there too. So it's kind of fun um, becoming bilingual and um, really becoming good friends with everyone there at work. Oftentimes we um, support each other. For example, I had a blood drive in honor of my sister in June and I had a couple of my coworkers come to that, and I just felt, I just felt really awesome about that. And for a while there, there'd be a couple of weeks where I just wouldn't hear anything at all. Like, I don't need a pat in the back every day, but I kind of came to realize, okay, you're not trying to please them. Like, you're, you need to be working for, for God. Since I get up early, I get to um, miss most of the traffic and I also get to see the sunrise, and it's just a good time to kind of collect my thoughts and um, pray and just get kind of ready for the day. So that's, that's a boost anyway. You know, growing up on the cattle ranch, it, to me, I've learned to be a better steward of the land and um, acknowledging that this was God built this, and I feel being out in the nursery with all the trees, knowing that, hey, you know, God created this, and this is something, a gift that we can give to customers in Kansas City, Topeka, Lawrence, um, to be able to share and keep that, um, God's beauty, spread it around. I love the, the simplicity of that, right? Faithful diligence, and if you think about it, the very first job description, right? 
of simply cultivating and keeping. So finally, if he's, if he's the one we're working for, he also redefines our understanding of success. Because success for us, right, it tends to be about money and power and respect, and I love all those things, right, and frankly would like a whole lot more of each of them, right? And we, we live in a world that says you, you are what you have or what you accomplish, right, which you can put on a, on a business card or a resume. That's, that's success for us. But his, his de- definition is a, bit, is a bit different. It's less about what we have or even, even less about what we do and, and more about what he enables us to give away. Look at uh, Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You see, this, this master gives us a whole new bottom line. And yes, profits still matter, right? We've talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks, that, that we're, we're called to help one another and to contribute, to create, to be fruitful. And if you're good at it, there's going to be economic rewards oftentimes for doing so. And that's, that's a good thing. That means that you can be generous to those around you. It means that you can use the, those resources to create more jobs for, for others that were created for work. And so, yes, make a profit, but that's not, that's not where our bottom line ends, not, not with profits only. And people matter. The planet matters. I mean, relationships, justice. We're going to talk about justice particularly next week and how we, how we respond to that uh, within a, a broken world like ours. The people you work with, work for, classmates, your kids, your coworkers, employees, customers, ev- everyone, every opportunity, every interaction is, a, is an opportunity, a chance for us to, to love our, our neighbors, to fulfill, to fulfill that command and to care for the world God made. So what's your measure for success. I mean, have you ever stopped and, and asked yourself that? I mean, just to pause for a moment, what, what for me would a successful retirement look like? H- how will I know when I've been successful as a parent? What, what would it look like at, at school, right, or on, on the playground? How, how do we assess that with our, our closest friends? What does success look like at work for, for you, for, for me? Because again, we tend to define it by what we get. Money, power, applause, but God defines it by what we give. And I love that he sets the example for us. God never asks us to do anything that he's unwilling to do. For he gave up the riches of heaven to accomplish his greatest work, our, our salvation. And, and this morning, we've been, we've been asking the question, what if God was your boss? You know, it's actually, it's actually the wrong question. Because if you belong to him, he's not merely your boss. I mean, yeah, he's in charge, right? He calls us out. He, he changes everything, absolutely. But if we, if we go back to Colossians, back where we started this morning, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. But let me ask you this. What employee gets an inheritance? Employees get a paycheck, not an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Children, yeah. Sons, daughters, family gets, gets an inheritance. And that, that, friends, that makes all the difference. I mean, God isn't, he isn't just your boss, not even, not even just like the best boss, right? If you belong to him, you don't punch a clock anymore. 
You're not trying to just make it to your next, next promotion or, or squeak by with your, your grades or your performance reviews like he's up there, you know, exacting, trying to, to check everything off. What if instead God was your father? Right, what, what kind of boss becomes a dad? Adopts us into his, into his own family, not, as, not simply as servants, but as sons, so that we can inherit the, the very riches of his everlasting kingdom, which never wear out, which cannot disappoint. And friends, this, this is what Jesus has done for us. Through his life, death, and resurrection on, on our behalf, which, which means that if you, if you belong to him, you have already passed every test. You've already received your, your highest promotion. You are already fully loved and fully fully accepted. All of the inadequacies, every fear that you have, every regret and shame and disappointment, all your failure to actually live this out. And listen, I mean, I can tell you, right, I, truthfully, I feel like a failure at least half the time, right? Anybody else? Okay. And the other half, I feel kind of like a rock star, which just shows how much of a failure I really am, right? But a failure, a failure as a dad, a failure as a husband, right? Anybody else? A failure, a failure as a friend, as a pastor, as, as a Christian. Any, any other failures out here, right? That's because you are, I mean, we can't do it. Every turn, we, we fail at this. We, we give our best effort, and we grit our teeth, and we muscle up, and we, we just we cannot live this out like we should, like we've been called to. But if you belong to him, with God as both father and master, that means he looks down at you, and he sees you just like he sees his son, Jesus. With all the beauty, all the perfection, all the obedience, None of the guilt, none of the fear, none of the inadequacies. And he delights in you. And if that's, if that's true, I can think of no, no greater motivation to change, to actually become this person. No greater source of power and enablement. No, no greater place for, for joy and, and hope to, to let him flip the status quo on its head. To, to shake up my short-sighted goals satisfaction and to let him unhinge my shallow definitions for success. Friends, we work for him and it can't get better than that. This morning, we want to center ourselves around this truth as we gather at his table. That that together we we come to this this table, the Lord's table, not simply as slaves or servants, we certainly are, but as, as dearly loved children. And may this meal feed our souls for a lifetime of productive service. Before we do that, before we come, why don't we just take a minute to quiet ourselves? We're going to put the reflection questions back up there if that helps you. Uh, to think through, to pray through quietly. Where, where am I in these areas? Do I actually live as if this reality is true in my life? So let's take a moment, but pray quietly, uh, and then I'll pray for us and we'll continue. Let's pray.
Gracious Father, would you amaze us once again at the reality that you call us your children, that you look at us with all the love and affection, all the tenderness and gentleness as a, as a good father. So God, I, I pray that you'd forgive us for, for how shallow and, and empty we can sometimes be, how meaningless our pursuits. And God, I pray that you would reinvigorate us to, to see you as the one that we get to serve with everything in all that we do and that there would be joy in, in, in the work. And so God, as we gather around your table, this communion table, would you commune with us as we commune with one another? Meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name.